word. Thank you for the truth uh, that is in your, in your word and in these words. We pray that uh, as we look at it together, that you would show us something more of what it, is, what it means to be a follower, a disciple of your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, you should have received when you came in um, a, a, little, um, uh, a little sheet. Look something a little bit like this. Uh, firstly, I have no idea why I wrote September uh, on, the, on the top. It is meant for today. It is Sunday. It is the 27th. It is 2022. Clearly, a week off school means that I've completely lost track of all time. Um, uh, you may find it helpful, just as we're uh, going through, just to look at this. Uh, you might want to jot some things down. If you want to grab a pen, there's some of there. Jeremy will throw one towards you if you want one. If you don't want to use it, I won't be offended in any way. Uh, but if some, some people may find it helpful. If you're in fusion tonight, I know your leader's going to be asking you about it. So if you're not scribbling frantically, uh, there, then you might be, might be panicking uh, um, this evening. And that will just give you a little bit of an overview as to where we're going in the next uh, 10 minutes or so this morning before the children come and share what uh, they have created uh, for us as well. Thank you again to Abel for that reading so beautifully for us. And we're continuing our journey uh, through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Craig shared with us last week the end of Luke um, uh, chapter 6, The Wise and Foolish Builders, that was the end of the, uh, the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, and for a really helpful explanation of what that meant in comparison to the Sermon on the Mount, do have another listen to Craig's message back uh, in January, January the 9th, I think it was, when he uh, compared, uh, compared the two. Um, we take a bit of a jump, uh, we're sorry about this, because we uh, missed the service a couple of weeks ago uh, through um, commissioning Matt and, and uh, decommissioning uh, and praying out John. Uh, with the order has changed uh, slightly. So Craig will be preaching on the faith of the centurion next uh, next week, uh, and we're jumping forward to Luke chapter seven, uh, verses eleven to seventeen that we've heard, uh, that we've heard read. Uh, so at the start of verse eleven, it says those two words, doesn't it? Uh, soon, uh, soon afterwards. Uh, and so, um, what we can assume uh, on this is that this is the next, the next day. So, we've, uh, uh, in terms of context, we're looking at what was uh, before the the story of the faith of the centurion that Craig will unpack for us next week, and the next day. Uh, is when this story uh, is, uh, is set. There's three different accounts in, uh, in the Gospels uh, of Jesus raising someone from, uh, from the dead. We all know the story uh, of Lazarus, Lazarus that is recorded in, in John's uh, Gospel. Matthew, Mark and Luke retell uh, the story of Jairus' daughter uh, being raised uh, from the dead. Uh, and Luke is the only Gospel to record this uh, specific event. And I think it's probably fair to say it's the least well-known of those three, um, uh, certainly the, the least preached upon uh, of, those, of those three accounts. When I was looking at some resources for the children this morning, it's certainly the, those, the one of those three stories that has the least resources for children in terms of Sunday school uh, compared to the raising of Lazarus and of Jairus' um, daughter. So let me tell you about the town of Nain. Uh, where this took place. It was a small town. It was about six miles southeast of Nazareth, um, about 15 miles away from Capernaum, where Jesus had been the previous day. So Jesus walked about 15 miles uh, to, get, uh, to get there from where he was uh, the previous day. Uh, and verse 11 tells us that the disciples were uh, part of a large crowd that went with him. Uh, we don't know exactly 
the, the, uh, the number. We don't know exactly what their mood was like, this, uh, this large crowd of disciples as they're um, uh, going towards this small town. But they've just heard of Jesus um, healing the centurion's uh, daughter. Probably a number of them have been there when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon uh, on the Plain. It's probably fairly safe to say they were buoyant uh, or fairly uh, excited because they're following their teacher, they're following Jesus. They've witnessed or certainly heard some of these wonderful things that Jesus has said and done. And these people uh, are, are coming in uh, to the town, and at the same time, they're met by another, quote, large crowd heading in the other direction. Now, this other large crowd, their mood would have been somewhat different from that of the disciples. This large crowd uh, are the procession of a funeral. At the front of this crowd, there's a, uh, a woman, a widow, who is mourning the loss of her son, described as a young man. And funerals uh, in, uh, in that time, uh, there would have been people mourning. The mourners would have been wailing. Uh, it wouldn't have been a quiet uh, affair. Many of them would have been professional mourners, paid to, uh, paid to mourn. Uh, so it was certainly very common in that time uh, because if, uh, it, it, it was sort of a, a sign of your, of your popularity or of your status if you had lots of people grieving along, uh, along with you. Uh, and so there's, there's a, a distinct possibility that that was the case here. As an excitable crowd following Jesus, joining one way, and then from the other direction, you can picture the scene, can't you, of these people mourning and wailing over this woman's son. We don't know very much about the man, uh, about the man who died. Uh, he was described as a young man. But we do know that his mother was a widow. And that's significant, isn't it? Uh, at this time, it's the man's job to earn the money. Uh, it was his man's job to provide a home and to provide for his family. And we already know that this woman has lost her husband. So then that would have passed on to her son the responsibility of providing for the family. And he's now died. We don't know the circumstances surrounding his death. But as she's, uh, as she's uh, mourning, as her son is being carried out on this coffin, she's thinking about this grieving, as she's going through this grieving process, but also thinking about what's next. What is next for my life? Have I got a home to live in? How am I going to provide for myself? And so this is the situation into which Jesus and this crowd of followers walk. This death is the catastrophe that the children acted out for us earlier. What a contrast in these crowds. One following the body of a man who's died. The other following the teacher who gives life. Have a look down at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said... I wonder how you'd have finished that sentence. Jesus' heart has gone out and he said, now I'm no expert in pastoral care, but I don't think there's many pastoral care textbooks that when someone is mourning, when someone is grieving, the first two words are, don't cry. <laughs> uh, I lost a friend recently in the last couple of weeks. Of course I cried, but nobody told me not to. I then had to share that news with others. I cried again. Nobody told me not to. If someone had come up and said, what are you doing, Steve? Why are you crying? Don't cry. I'd have thought they were heartless. That's not the point, is it? 
because of the action that then follows. There's a reason Jesus responds in this way. If you're following down those notes, we're, we're moving on to point one. Jesus has power and Jesus has authority. By his word of power, a miracle takes place. Glance right down to verses 14 and 15. Having said, don't cry. He went up and touched the buyer, it's like the, the um, um, coffin. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Jesus is, uh, has already stopped. He's engaged with this woman by telling her not to cry. It's how he's shown compassion to her. He's then defiled himself for a rabbi, for a teacher, to go and touch the coffin on which a, uh, a body is being carried would have been considered impure, would have been considered unclean. We don't know what, if anything, the woman says at this point. The, there's various other stories we read about in the Gospels, aren't there, of people shouting out, Jesus, healer, come and, uh, come and save me, come and heal me. We don't know anything of what the woman says here. But Jesus' actions show compassion. He then speaks these words, young man, I say to you, get up. It's interesting, isn't it? He doesn't pray to his heavenly father to ask him to help because Jesus has been given the authority, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus has been given authority to speak into that person's life and the authority to raise that young man from the dead. Jesus' words have power and authority. John 17 tells us again, you granted him authority, talking about Jesus, over all people. I wonder what that woman was thinking when Jesus came up and said, don't cry. I wonder if she was thinking that he was heartless, that he was cruel, that he was cold. Jesus is the one man who can give this woman exactly what she wants. What does she want? She wants her son back. The one man who has the power and authority to do that is the man that she's met. And what does the son do? He sits up and he begins to talk. It's not empty words, is it, from Jesus? I say to you, get up. There's power in Jesus' words. There's authority that he's been given. Let's move on to the second point on your notes that you've got there. Throughout the Gospels, we see, don't we, Jesus' authority over different things. We see him calming the storm and showing his authority and power over the elements. We see Jesus' power over sickness when he heals. We see his power over demons as he casts them out. And we see here Jesus' power over death itself. Jesus and the large crowd following him meet the crowd travelling in the opposite direction. He's engaging he's with the grieving mother. He's touching the coffin. And he shows his power authority by raising her son to life. He stops the mourners in their tracks. Jesus halts the tragic procession to the grave. In this case, it's the tragic procession of a family of mourners heading to bury a young man, a woman heading to bury her son. Nowadays, through what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, 
he halts our very own tragic procession to the grave. I asked my class in an RE lesson, uh, my class of uh, 10 and 11 year olds, I asked them in an RE lesson recently, what do you think will happen when you die? And I encouraged them to go and talk to their parents about it, and just to get a bit of a, uh, a sense of what, uh, of, what they, of what they thought, of what they believed. When we die, it's the end. I'd like to believe in something, but I don't. Maybe there's a heaven if you're good. Isn't it tragic that this is the world that we live in where people just think this is, it's a tragic procession to the grave? But in this story, Jesus halts the tragic procession to the grave. And in our lives, Jesus has halted our tragic procession to the grave by turning our lives around. Romans tells us that we've all sinned. We've all done wrong. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus halts the tragic procession to the grave. God just demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, Christ died for you. Through his perfect life, he removed all of the wrong things you've ever done. And Jesus continues to halt our tragic procession to the grave. He's done it for me. He's done it for so many of you. I wonder what you're going to do with the evidence of what we've looked at this morning. Are we persuaded that Jesus showed this compassionate care, that his words proved his power? If that's true, then surely it requires a response. As we move on to section three. The very start of Luke's Gospel, as we looked at uh, some months ago now, over a year ago, I think, uh, Luke's Gospel has been recorded to draw up an account of the events he's recorded by those who were eyewitnesses. I wonder in this account who the eyewitnesses were. He probably went uh, or heard from people in the village of Nain. I wonder if he spoke to the, the, this young man's mother. I don't know. I wonder, if she, I wonder if Luke spoke to the man himself who'd been raised from the dead. Wouldn't that be a wonderful, uh, wonderful story? Turn to verse 16. What do these people do? They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. God has come to stop the tragic procession to the grave. If you haven't yet made that decision to follow Jesus in your own life yet, can I encourage you to consider joining us as we praise together? And if we look at the final... Uh, verse. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. It's almost a throwaway line, isn't it? The news spread throughout Judea and the final country. Let's get on with the next part of the story. But no, it's not just a throwaway line. News doesn't spread of its own accord, does it? It doesn't just happen to spread. Nowadays, news spreads incredibly quickly in this world of internet, internet of instant news, of social media. News spreads almost instantaneously. The tragic events that are occurring in uh, Ukraine at the moment, we know about them almost the moment they're happening because of how news can spread so quickly. 
The same thing wasn't true in Jesus' day. They had to be much more deliberate about how this news was spread. Didn't spread by clicking on that little share icon and then going out to all of your friends and family. People had to tell each other. They were there, they were eyewitnesses, and they passed on the wonderful good news of Jesus. We were in the town of Nain, and do you know what happened? Do you know what we saw? We saw Jesus, that teacher, that prophet. He's come and raised someone from the dead. The woman's son, only son, had died. And this prophet, Jesus, raised him from the dead. If you heard that story, of course you'd pass it on. Nothing would stop you, would it? I shared earlier that I'd have to. I've had to face death recently to a friend challenged me in my urgency, how urgent am I in sharing the good news of Jesus? Life can be short, can't it, sometimes? Life can be cruelly taken away and we don't understand it. But we have a wonderful good news of a gospel. We have a, a saviour who halts the tragic procession to the grave. Who do we need to tell? Who do we need to share that wonderful good news with? What barriers are there for us in sharing the wonderful news of Jesus who halts the tragic procession to the grave? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is a God of miracles. Thank you that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you that in this uh, instance, Jesus halted the tragic procession to the grave of those who, uh, of, of, the, um, of the young man who died. But thank you, Heavenly Father, that your son, Lord Jesus, continues to halt the tragic procession to the grave in our lives. Thank you that our lives have purpose and have meaning. And through what your son, the Lord Jesus, has done, we have eternal life. Amen.